Welcome to the latest edition of Books and Culture and our podcast brought to you by the auspices of John Wilson, the editor of Books and Culture. And as is his want, John wants to talk about a wide range of topics, and this week we'll be looking at children's books. It's been too long, Stan, since we've had a conversation on children's books, and I picked three books for today. The first one is called The Day the Crayons Quit. It's <laughs> written by Drew Daywalt, and it's illustrated by Oliver Jeffers. All the books, the children's books that I talk about when you and I do a conversation, they're all ones that not only have I read, but Wendy has too. And in most cases, we've read them together, almost always, in some cases several times. Some of them I've had a chance before you and I talk to read with our grandkids. These, not as yet. We'll do that in September when we see them. But this particular book is not only one of our favorites of this year, but it's one of the most delightful that we have encountered in the last several years. The illustrations are just absolutely wonderful. And if you are a fan of children's books yourself, if you have some children or grandchildren you read them to, one of the first things you should do when this podcast is over is acquire a copy of The Day the Crayons Quit. The illustrations, you can go on the web or go down to your local bookstore and hopefully take a flip through. And as soon as you look at the book, I suspect that you'll be won over. But let me just read you the principal character. is a boy named Duncan, and he goes to take out his crayons one day in class, and he finds a stack of letters, and the letters are written to him by his crayons. And then you <laughs> see that each crayon writes in its own color. So the first one is from Red Crayon saying, hey, Duncan, it's me, Red Crayon. We need to talk. You make me work harder than any of your other crayons. All year long, I wear myself out coloring fire engines, apples, strawberries, and everything else that's red. I even work on holidays and so on. <laughs> so, so he claims he's worked too hard. And then, of course, there's some red illustration on the other side. The next one is from Purple Crayon. I love that I'm your favorite crayon for grapes, dragons, and wizards' hats. But it makes me crazy that so much of my gorgeous color goes outside the lines. If you don't start coloring inside the lines soon, I'm going to completely lose it. Your very neat friend, Purple Crayon. <laughs> the next one, I won't read any more, but I'm tired of being called light brown or dark tan because I am neither. I am beige and I am proud. I'm also tired of being second place to Mr. Brown Crayon. It's not fair that Brown gets all the bears, ponies, and puppies, while the only things I get are turkey dinners, if I'm lucky, and wheat. <laughs> and let's be honest, when was the last time you saw a kid excited about coloring wheat? Your beige friend, beige crayon. <laughs> and so I, So this book, as soon as you hold it in your hands, it sells itself. Uh-huh. Okay, what's next? The next one is by a well-known illustrator, designer named Nicholas Blackman, but it's his first book for kids. And it's a kind of book that I'm normally not as crazy about. It's extremely professional. You know, the illustrations, the technical quality is just superb. But a lot of books like that, they, 
Wendy and I feel the same way. We don't really connect with them emotionally. You know, they're yeah. they're very well made. But this one is just such a delightfully ingenious book. It's called Night Light. You'll see as you go through, it's one of those books that has lots of cutouts. And it's also a book that asks questions. So it says, one light shining bright, question mark, and you turn and you see what that one light was from. It was from a train. Mm -hmm. And so then the next one, two lights hovering in flight. It's the two lights of a helicopter and so on. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's interactive. As you know yourself as a father, when kids like a book like this, you might say, well, after they go through it a couple of times, They'll be bored because, you know, they know the answers to all right. No. <laughs> not at all. You might get bored after a while, but they will not get bored. They love anticipating. And at the same time, it's a great book to have on hand. You might have somebody over visiting your house, some child who hasn't seen the book before, and then you can sit down and go through and they have, just like reading a novel for the first time, the pleasure of the unfolding plot and the suspense. So... I think there's just something satisfying about holding a beautiful book like that. Oh, it is. It, exactly. Okay, what's next? Again, I love the fact that all three of these books, they're very different. The aesthetic is completely different. The last one is called To Go Singing Through the World, The Childhood of Pablo Neruda, and it's by Deborah Cogan Ray. And the illustrations are gorgeous, as you can see from the cover. It's funny because as I was reading this book, Eric Metaxas and I have been carrying on an email conversation about his new book, Seven Man and the Secret of Their Greatness, Mm -hmm. that was just recently posted on our website. And we were talking about the subject of biography. And I was saying that, especially in Christian circles, though not only there, but there's often a tendency to hagiography. You know, and Eric was disagreeing, and he was saying there used to be a time when that was true, but that's not true now. Now we have the opposite problem. We're always wanting to expose the flaws of great men and women, you know. And, of course, with children, that poses a special problem because his book is not for children. It's for adults, and so those issues are more pressing. But even in books for children, I wrestle with this. That is to say you want to excite the admiration of children for someone who deserves to be admired, who who is, in this case, created wonderful poetry. And Wendy and I both love Neruda's work. And so the fact that it doesn't, just talking about him as a boy, and that there's nothing in here about the, you know, apologist for Stalinism and the womanizer, and you know, you know that's perfectly okay. And yet at the same time, as I was enjoying this book and enjoying the way it introduced younger readers to poetry and so on, I thought of these tensions that Eric and I were discussing and to some extent disagreeing about. But there was one thing that was particularly interesting that was emphasized in this book because it's focusing on Neruda's childhood. And that is that there was a Nobel Prize winning poet, not much read today, from Chile, where he grew up, named Gabriela Mistral. She was a teacher and she took an interest in Neruda. She recognized his talent, his unusual gifts. When he grew up, they remained friends until the end of her life, which was in the late 50s. Part of what's interesting about that is that she was a very devout Christian. 
And Neruda, of course, was anything but. And yet this friendship of theirs was a lifelong bond. And that's a theme in the story. It's amazing the range of opportunities that children have to learn about the world. We've got labor issues here. (laughs) We have transportation and we have, uh, I'd say, a little bit of philosophy. Yes, that's right. That's right. And on top of that, just sheer delight. Thank you, John.